All right. Sounds that's right. We're rolling. I don't, who knows, man? Who knows? Welcome to episode six of the Young Old Eds podcast. We are having some te- technical difficulties this morning, but Max, hopefully we made it. Hopefully this works. I'm Tommy. You're Max. Let's talk about cards. You ready? Let's talk about cards. Let's talk uh, about cards. Are we good? We are so not good, dude. This is so bad. This oh. is so bad. It's so bad. Wait, turn turn off your turn off your video. Turn off your video. Turn off your video. What's up? All right, that sounds better. Yeah, because that was bad even on my end. All right, I think this does this sound better. I think this sounds okay. Okay, what's up? All right, episode six of the Young Old Heads podcast. I'm Tommy. You're Max. I'm I'm Max. You're Max. Max, you're at a card show this weekend. Can you talk to us about the card show? I went to not one, but two card shows. I have graduated from Wake Forest University. I walked on Monday, and I am now back on Long Island, New York. Not in Long Island, New York. On Long Island, New York. You are. For, I'm scouring for card shows. Usually that requires a little bit of driving. I went to New Jersey, and there were two card shows approximately 20 minutes away from other. Would you like to know what I picked up? Yes, I would love to. You went to two card shows, dude? I didn't even know that. But all right. they, were, they were 20 minutes away from each other. So it was a perfect situation. Ah. Uh, I definitely try to, I think a big thing with my collecting thinking in general is trying to, I guess, like from a flipping standpoint, you want to, you know, increase the war chest. You want to build the cards max vault or your own personal vault. Finding both cool cards that other people like, as well as if I'm keeping something, the cool to value equilibrium has to be satisfactory. Um, Can you I, give me an example? Um, I found two 2013 Topps Chrome Update Bryce Harpers gold refractors um, for VGS nines, but they are now raw. So I saw I saw those on your timeline. Uh, I was going to ask you because I saw, or no, you texted me an image of the BGS nines, and then I saw you post them for sale on Twitter later that day, raw, and I was like. Oh, Max was in the lab again, doing the cracking of the slabs. And it definitely, look, I know people, people go back and forth between grading companies all the time. I'm never going to expect a PSA 10. And look, I mean, I'm not going to maximize the value of something unless it's uber high end as a BGS nine anyway. So I wanted to crack it from its cage, at least see, okay, is this worth sending out? And Something very odd. One of them was a had a t- subgrade of S10, and the surface was anything but deserving of that sub. So I don't know if you know does the quality of the card get worse in the casing? Probably not. But I was definitely a little bit questioning that grade, and I was like, okay, this stuff isn't going to be a PSA 10 candidate. But hey, they're cool cards to have for sale. They're second year Bryce for gold refractors. Out of two fifty, not out of fifty. Not the worst. I hold on to them because they're cool. Sign me up. Yeah, Bryce Harper, Hall of Fame lock for sure. Like I, I'm, I'm hyped about those cards. They look cool. I love gold refractors in general. You know, true gold especially. Um, I, I was cool. I like seeing those. I actually have been thinking about Bryce Harper a lot lately because um, I was back home also this weekend and I was updating my binders and stuff and I was like. Dang, I really need to get, I have a red parallel Bryce Harper gold cup, but um, I think I need to get some sort of chrome refractor version of it because I remember when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and I thought he was the coolest dude ever hearing these stories about how far he was in homers. And the fact that he 
has actually like turned out in the pros, I think is something that's like under underappreciated by people, how much pressure was on him, how much hype there was surrounding him. And the fact that he's more or less delivered on his career, I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, I mean, he was the number one prospect for what feels like forever and definitely had that hype on call up. Yeah. And I, it was deserving, you know, and uh, well, what I wanted to talk about this week, Max, because of your card show experiences this weekend is uh, the powers of card shows. Uh, I saw a lot of there is the Dallas card show this weekend, uh, the big one uh, down in uh, Texas, where we're going to have uh, Playboy cards on next weekend to talk about. But uh, there was a lot of talk on the timeline and just in the card world this weekend about, you know, the card shows with uh, talks of the world ending and the economy collapsing. People are like, well, the Dallas card show ran out of parking. That's not really exactly a bad sign for the hobby. So I was going to ask you, does going to card shows, does that usually lead to you feeling reinvigorated in your hobby and your collecting and also your flipping uh of it i when i was in north carolina i was going to a card show approximately every week until it got to the point where school my school workload was very high so i had to take off from that i cannot wait for ryan playbook be on the show next week because he's going to take me to school and educate me about all of how it's done i mean i am I am a nobody at going to card shows when it comes to Ryan and how he does things, yeah. but um, it's fun. Just, I mean, I carry my little brief. I have some cards that I always contain in it. Um, very rarely do I move cards from that, but it's good to just keep as trade bait. I enjoy having dealers look around it. And usually I said, not everyone sees every day, keep some head turners. Um, getting the real person to person interactions is very important. And you get to see like, not, only what is for sale but other people's collecting strategies other people's buying strategies and also the origins of where some came from. yeah yeah and i i totally agree with you i haven't been to too many card shows in my life but every time i go to one my number one thing i do is i just ask questions to people that have cool cases i'm just like hey where'd you find this like like random michael jackson like rookie card from the 60s that i had no idea existed or like where like i that's where i met ifa's pitch who had the uh, PMG trout. And I was like, I had no idea Mike Trout had a PMG. That's crazy. You have this out and just like randomly. I also think it's a good way of seeing what the market is, um, what people are selling. You know, you can see it on eBay, but like in person seeing, you know, this person selling this, like there's, I see this card everywhere. Um, I think it's a good way of like just getting a quick uh, diagnostic check on the market and like what people are at. Um, I, have I ever told you, Max, about what I, my, this research paper I wrote in uh, college about live in-person events? You have not. Oh, really? I have not? All right, cool. You're going to like, the, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. All right. So when I was a junior in, in uh, college, I, I did an independent, I did t- spent a quarter doing an independent research with a professor, Professor Dan Lewis at Northwestern. Absolute legend. And the entire thesis of what my research was, this was an entire quarter. I literally didn't take any other classes. It was just like, I was researching all day this and I wrote like, like a 50 page paper about how live in-person events are not able to be replica- replicated online. And the basis, the, the um, mechanisms behind what I was writing about was uh, how the internet started and the ideals behind it in relation to the counterculture movement and how they wanted it to be like an open environment where you know anything was possible, community building would break across you know country borders and everything. Um, but what ended up happening, and I, I specifically was focusing on music community. So it was like I was comparing live music shows as they started with like Woodstock and live festivals with the growth of the internet um, and like uh, the original 
uh, file sharing of music and like the Spotify SoundCloud movement. Um, and I, I wanted to compare this to the card market because although music and audio is, you know, a different medium than cards and the physical, you know, the visual aspect of cards, the, the same sense of like a internet community based around a specific topic, I think is very applicable. And I think something that happened during COVID, which is like everyone kind of found this online community for cards and cards are a good on like a good um, basis for an online community because they are a physical medium online. You know, physical is a lot easier because, you know, everyone kind of sees the same thing. While as like audio, depending on where you are in a concert or something, you have a totally different experience than someone else. And yeah, that's the same thing as a card show. Like you might not see every table and like maybe one table is like blocked when you show up and that kind of impacts your, your perspective. But the main point that I wanted to make is that live in-person events are absolutely essential to the growth of the hobby because of what you're talking about, that connection you make with people face-to-face. -face. What, what my research basically concluded is that there is no replacement for face-to-face -face contact. There is no, there is something that is a human nature about being around other humans and sharing this shared experience. That just is not something that we can replicate on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, Facebook podcast, whatever. We can't, we can't replicate it. So you know, as COVID is hopefully, you know, whatever. And like, hopefully the national is going to be popping this year and, you know, people are going to be going to card shows, but that part of the card collecting experience is something that I really encourage everyone to go out and do because of that really important part of sharing the experience, like the live in-person experience with people. There's just really nothing you can replace it with. I know that in at employee 84 on Twitter sometimes says that being on card Twitter is like being at a card show 24 seven, but you know, it is, and it isn't because, you know, you, you're not, you're not really there with everybody. You are sort of there, but it's like a fleeting experience. You know, you put your phone down for a minute, you, you're not there. Um, I just wanted to do a little quick monologue about my research that I did, because I feel like th that specific in-person value is something that I think people don't talk about quite enough. I agree with that in person at intangible or maybe your research found that you can actually quantify or at least you know describe what it's like and how it's different from online and just simply you know card collecting is very specific and for lack of a better word very niche and you people that don't collect cards don't get it so to be in an, in an environment where there's tens is maybe hundreds of people that all collect cards that you can just talk about it and acquiesce with is very significant and unique that you really only get at a show. And yeah, totally. And I think that that's kind of what me and you are trying to do here with our podcast is right. Like, it's like, we want to have those conversations that only really go down at card shows and bring them to people that maybe are too live away from cities and can't go, or like maybe they are very introverted and don't feel comfortable going to these big events. Um, I think these conversations are really hard to replicate online just because of how, you give someone the benefit of the doubt more when you're looking at them face to face. Well, like I, you can get into contentious arguments with people on Twitter or social media about like things that like are just really basic misunderstandings that like someone just read something in the wrong tone that you wrote. And it's just like, it's really hard to, to share information when you're not, especially about cards where it's very fluid and it's not like one thing always leads to another. There's a lot of kind of like free form connections being made, like how we do with like across sport comparisons and stuff. Like, a lot of this information that you learn from people is not exactly like, I'm not like, oh, tell me about this specific guy. They're like, I'm like, oh, this card's cool. And he's like, oh, you know, another cool card that's kind of similar to that. But like, you kind of, I wouldn't have thought about. Um, 
An example of that is like that Northwestern card I bought from uh, the, the M-U-R-A-D. I think it's Murad. I don't know. But it's the first basketball card. It's a college card um, from Northwestern. Um, and I, I saw it at a show in Atlanta. And uh, the guy, I talked to the guy about how I went there and how I knew about the card. And he was like, oh man, like I never have anyone ask me about this card. I think it's so cool. And he ended up giving me a big deal on it. So it's like stuff like that where you're like, you run into like, chance encounters with people that just it really creates just a very special bond a very special moment and it adds value to your cards it adds another layer layer of emotion and like connection to it um so that's my monologue about card shows max i wanted to just drop that at the beginning of the pod what are your thoughts uh my thoughts are that you have a little bit of a blessing living in a little bit of a bubble or the opposite of that and that you are living and residing in chicago and that the you go to are on the larger side and have a lot of knickknacks and interesting items that you wouldn't get elsewhere. While I feel like in my situation, um, at least in the shows that I have gone to previously in the New York, New Jersey area, they're usually smaller. I want to say 40-ish tables is the average, maybe some in the 80 range, 80 to 100 range. And I feel like you don't find a lot of non-generic items in that. So I don't find those really interesting conversations as often, but there is a correlation with how large of the show I go to and the unique stuff I come across. That's a good point, Max. I haven't been to too many small shows, so thanks for pointing that out because honestly, like sometimes I forget that a lot of the main shows that people go, a lot of shows people go to week to week are a lot smaller than some of the ones I've been to. Um, I think something that I think about when I go to shows though, is just like, all right, I'm going to just walk the floor first, see what's going on. Uh, sorry for giving you a heart attack there, Max. I, uh, we, me and Max have had a lot of technical difficulties with this podcast. Sorry. This is a little side note there, uh, but we are going to do it because we care about cards and we talk about cards all day long. And that's all we want to talk about with each other. Um, but Max, the number one thing about card shows, I think for people to remember is just not be afraid to talk to people, ask questions. If a dealer is rude to you or just kind of dismissive, bounce back you know some people are just having bad days sometimes i think there's a lot of times where i see people be like oh no deals were being made at the show today like oh dealers weren't trying to make deals it's like all right like sometimes that happens and you know maybe <clears throat> the card you want is not you know someone is holding like let's say i'm trying to think of a good example maybe like john morant like someone bought it. john morant's card prices were probably a little bit higher i haven't checked exactly but um they're probably a little bit higher during the playoffs than they are right now so Maybe someone's holding him and they have a higher asking price, but, you know, just don't get discouraged. Um, and, you know, don't uh, actually, oh, this is the show I wanted to talk about, Max. I forgot to bring this up with you. You know about the Ship Shawana show, right? I've talked to you about this. Yeah. The Ship Shawana yeah. Indiana show. This is, this is the epitome of card shows, I think. It's the best card show in the, in the nation, in my opinion. Out of the very few that I've been to, it's in Ship Shawana, Indiana, which is a, a rural town in Indiana where... Uh, at the underscore sports on Instagram, he, uh, they organize this big card show and the card collector two is there and a lot of people come out for it. Um, and it's really just the best representation of the card collecting community. It's really a genuine affair where like, you don't really get much, you know, corporate presence at all. It's very much just like these core collectors that are about that I've always had good conversations with. So um, if anyone is even remotely in the area of Shipshawana, Indiana, I recommend making the drive out to it. Um, it's coming up next weekend in, on Memorial Day. Um, I want to add that at least with going to shows and going to a different variety of shows, I won't be disappointed if I don't have the most valuable cards or the best cards, but 
I will be a little bit upset or, you know, question the time that I'm investing in going to a show if I don't have, in my eyes, the most interesting cards. Because obviously I'm a little why I have my own showcase and I buy cards that I like. But if I'm going and making other rounds and I don't see a single card that I can't just find on the internet or something that isn't just a prototypical higher end card, I want uniqueness. I want stuff that you don't see every day. And if I feel like I'm not finding that at a show, then that is where I get disappointed a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. But it's also kind of works conversely. I think it's something that's like a very educational opportunity for people to see what is prevalent. It's like a snapshot of print run kind of, you know, like you go to a show, you're like, damn, I saw so many base of this guy today. Like maybe I shouldn't be paying 50 bucks for a base card of this guy. Um, but Max, that's all I, I, I think. I have a, a very special new segment for you this week that I wanted okay. to bring up and I surprised me. I'm really excited about it. And I, uh, it's actually, I got inspired by, uh, the wax museum podcast, shout out Kyle. He's an absolute legend. If you, if you collect basketball cards at all, you should be listening to his podcast as well. Um, really I've learned so much from him, but he had a little segment last week about panini and panini making this new photogenic product and like he was kind of doing a spoof like products that he wished panini made instead of this but so this week i'm starting i'm gonna give you something that i'm calling rip stash or leave and this is you decide if i'm creating i propose a new product to you and you tell me if you would rip it stash it or leave it on the shelves you get that i understand you understand all right cool so this is an upper deck product um, this would be, this would be an upper deck product. I'm pitching it to upper deck. Um, I'm always intrigued by upper deck because they have exclusive autograph light, uh, signings for Wayne Gretzky, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Tiger Woods, who are probably four of the greatest athletes still living on earth, on planet earth. And I don't think they do enough with them. And yeah, they pump out Goodwin champions and a lot of these products every year, but I don't think they really emphasize enough the fact that these guys are the goats, are the goats. So this product I am presenting to you, Max, is called Upper Deck Goats. And it, the product is various species, not species, uh, various types, I guess, of, of goats, different, the different, I guess, species, the different uh, like types of goats. Like genus? Yeah, yeah, the, ge- the different, yeah, the different genuses of goats. Like, let's say a mountain goat versus like a valley goat. I don't know if those are th- the different things, but pictures of those goats and different goat facts, but with relics and autographs of those guys on those cards. So it's like a goat picture, and then it's like a LeBron James patch auto with the goat picture. I that's my product. Um, there would be base cards. There would be. I don't know what else you could come up with this product, but Max, upper deck goats, would you rip that? Would you stash that? Or would you leave it on the shelves? Um, is it a cartoon version of the player as a goat or is it just the animal goat? My initial thought was just the animal goats with like different facts, but... And is this, is this a fat pack or is this a national treasures type and like is there you know there's autographs obviously but yeah what, you're, is, what is the configuration i think like in this theoretical fake yeah. product that you just made up yeah yeah no no i think it's more of a high-end product i think okay i think because of the necessary aspect of having the relics attached in auto and autos because i don't know if i would really want it to be an animated goat product but 
Uh, okay. I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna for the sake of the argument, I'm gonna say it's like a national treasures level, like super duper high end product where like you're chasing, you're chasing the Tiger Woods like Nike Nike logo patch auto or something. Okay, well, time for my little soliloquy. I am going to say stash. I am a little bit of a wimp and don't want to rip. I ripped a box of Bowman Sapphire and a box of Bowman Hobby this weekend for about, uh, I think, three hundred, about $500 total. And I hated that I didn't make my money back. So I try to avoid ripping unless it's very, very fun. At the same time, there's value here and there's reason to think that a product like this would appreciate, right? Because you were saying how Upper Deck has the rights, likeness, and ability to sign autographs of the greatest living athletes that are, you know, available to have physically signed autographs. And it may sound grim, but some of these athletes, they're getting older. And I mean, you know, LeBron, Michael Jordan, not in the near future, but as long as these cards aren't redemptions, there is going to be maybe a few decades from now where they are not actively signing memorabilia anymore, causing it to go up a little bit. My position you know, my five box position in top finest basketball isn't, I'm not harking over the fact that there's no logos. I am excited by the fact that the autograph checklist has so many hall of famers and is loaded. I don't care if I hold those boxes for 20 years. I feel like with just the sheer greatest basketball player of all time level, not Jordan or LeBron, but talent on that checklist, it makes me want to stash it. And knowing that okay, well, they can't sign their names forever and that they aren't even signing their name time right now. I know it's a different sport, but Formula One in 2020 Tops Chrome, Lewis Hamilton has has less than 100 autographs, including parallels across the entire product. So these guys don't sign their name to where it just becomes worthless. The name and their autographs value, they're not signing their names often and there's going to be a period of time that exists where they're not signing autographs anymore. So I am saying stash. I That was a great answer, Max. And it, I love how you threw in that you ripped those Bowman Chrome boxes and how you were mad at yourself ripping those. I think another point about the top finest basketball is that I, I think that in the next couple of years, we're going to see a really harsh turn on, on card versus sticker autos. And uh, as a collector, I think that, you know, it's much easier to replace a sticker autograph card. Like I was thinking about this today, Max, about replacements. Um, this is something that my roommate always is talking about. It's like, how easy is a card to be replaced and how that can impact its value? Like you can't replace a US, like an update trout gold rookie card as someone on this podcast, my own one. Um, you can't really replace that as easily as you could a Mike Trout autograph, you know? a vet autograph of Mike Trout. They come out every year. There's a bunch of them. Um, you know, some are better than others, but you know, they are more or less the same sort of product. Um, so in terms of value, I think that that is something that the market, I don't know. I don't know if it's a inefficiency in the card market or if it's more of just um, a feature of it. The fact that autograph, like the, the idea of replacement is not valued quite as high um, for autographs as it is for rare, for rare cards. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think something that's going to affect Trout's long-term value with signing is that he signs his name a good for tops. And uh, you know, someone who doesn't like Mookie Betts, look, Mookie isn't going to be revered as possibly the greatest baseball player ever, but 
there's less like there is definitively less Mookie Betts autographs available than Mike Trout autographs on this market. And that is going to affect pricing. Yeah, for sure. That was a great, that's a great point too. Um, I think that actually kind of brings me back to something that I wanted to kind of circle back with, which is this tweet that I did yesterday about how you need to surround yourself with people that are trying to share their hobby knowledge. And I think the autograph population is a great example of that. It's something that is not really easily readily available as find like how many times someone has signed an autograph um i think as the as the card universe expands and is trying to get in more people i think that's like another crucial aspect of something that we're going to need to know i i would love to know i think i asked you this one time like how many mike trout autograph cards you think are out there and i'm like you know what i'm sure there is so many i'm sure it's like 10 times as many of those like autograph stickers are on card Mike Trout's, then there are like a tops gold refractor Mike Trout. You know, those are a very finite amount of cards. And I, that's why I always tell people that I would rather buy rare cards than autographs. That's kind of like the long-winded answer to that, to long-winded point I think I'm trying to make there. Yeah. And I guess the hybrid of the rare autographs. But I, you know, again, I was referencing this earlier is how much money do you want to put in relative to your enjoyment and make sure that that, that is at a, good balance like i bought a very cool acuna uh image variation this past weekend i got it at a good deal but i recognize that hey i love the card but the monetary value that it's worth is not worth for me isn't worth keeping it because i'd rather put those funds and do something more that i enjoy i'd rather have five rare cool cards than one cool auto because yeah. I don't see the enough value, collecting value being added with that autograph. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, could we actually, I want to, you need to talk about more about this uh, Acuna card. I think that, I think this is like an interesting thing for people to know, learn about because I, I didn't know about it before. Oh yeah, I am a total Tops 3D nerd. Okay, so the started as a Tops.com on-demand product with uh, print runs of 250 per base card. And that included um glaber no i don't know if it did include glaber torres um it include yes no it included glaber torres's um 699 series 2 image variation it included the bat down acuna as well as juan soto's card so these were very short printed you know i mean not to say parallels but you had a rendition of the bat down that bat down had no other parallels aside from sapphire so that's what kind of put it on the map I want to say the print run in 2019. Also, there is no autographs, no parallels, no other hits. It's just the 3D cards for 2018. In 2019, you raise the print run to about 540. There are some players from Update, I believe, that are included in 2019, and it's shipped in about October. Then we get to 2020. We have Jordan, Bobachette, and Luis Robert in this product. Print run raises to, I want to say, 750. But here's the kicker. They include image variation short prints at one per 20 boxes. And this is, it was either one per 20, one per 25. I want to say it was one per 20. The overall, and the, the biggest thing about this is that these images weren't recycled in other products. Each of these image variations were unique to top 3D. The doing the print run math, they were approximately 50 copies of each player on the 10 list. Look, I was just talking about how I got killed by Bowman Chrome. I bought 25 boxes at SRP. I went to town. 
I pulled a Juan Soto and Cody Bellinger SP. And this weekend, I bought Acuna in a PSA 10. And I'm very happy with it because it is a cool, unique card. You don't see it every day, and it looks cool. You, all right. First of all, you bought 25 boxes of Tops 3D in 2020. That is correct. That, that, is, that is awesome. I want to say that is the most classic cards max thing of all time. I love it. Yeah. I want to say that it was $25 per box. So SRP was definitely very manageable. Yeah. That's, oh, wow. That's awesome. That's a, that's something that like people look back on. It's like how we were talking about ETOPS. Like some of the people are paying like 10 bucks for cards that are not worth like 500 bucks or something. Um, no, that card is super cool. And I think that the 3D product is intriguing to me. And it actually made me think of an, of a point that I've been thinking about lately, which is that sometimes I wish that some of these products that Tops was putting out that are very cool, like Tops 3D, I wish that they were more like parallels or case hits in flagship versus their own separate product. Um, I think that the tops parallels are getting pretty lazy with the just like foil board stuff. And I, I don't think that that many people really like them. And I think that if you threw in like a case hit tops 3D, like a kind of like how they do with acetate, I, I would rather they expand the like the checklist that way and more of a unique parallel set than doing these like on-demand sets that are their own products that like people don't even really know or put out all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on that all right, at that point? I kind of like that they're more low-key. It doesn't really require, it doesn't gatekeep people from doing the research because these are just sets that are released on tops.com and they're released every year and released on the same time of year. And you can generally get a sense of when they're going to release. And let alone, they're usually available for double SRP at worst. I like the uniqueness. I like the stuff that isn't known about every day. Stuff like Throwback Thursday is unique because it's print to demand. So it doesn't necessarily finite. And they're cooler, rarer cards that not everyone needs. And the amount that's generated and printed is exactly the amount that's needed at that moment. Yeah, I think I think that's a good, that's a good counter. I think, I think the balance, finding the balance between like, making products niche niche and like low print run enough where collectors get it are getting there you know intrigued by it balancing that with like accessibility to the masses i think is something that tops is at least trying to do um i don't whether they're doing a good job of it or not is not as something that i don't know i can't really speak to but i think they're trying different things but um i think my i would i would still say that i want tops to do more unique parallels that are not net just color variations is that something that you'd be open to as a collector yes definitely one of the big things that we talk about especially with the sustainability of value long term is image variations you know you still pull them from a pack of cards they're, but they're not numbered most of the time they're not numbered i can't think of an example where they are and I'll uh, I, I, you want to you want an example top, yes. top, tops chrome tops chrome parallels they do gold gold parallels Oh, they do give parallels with Topps Pro. Yes, and we can, there's lots of different intricacies with that. Yeah. But image variations provide a genuine demand for the card. And even though, you know, even though I want to say a flagship, you know, Series 1, Series 2 image variation, normal SP is about a 3,500 print run, you can see the demand sometimes supersede regular gold parallels, serial number to 2022 or the current year because more people want to own the image variation and it's cooler. I think that also depends on the image variation and also kind of, it kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier with replacement value. Like 
I'm, I am concerned about tops diluting the photo variations by adding so many different ones. Um, I think that having an aspect of attainability of being able to like, Oh, there's only two different ones. Like maybe I'll look into finding both of those at some point in my collecting time. But like if there's six or five, you know, and there's two different, there's SPs and update and series one or two for a rookie or something. And then there's also the update one. And then there's SSPs and both or whatever, you know, it's like, is that, I like how cool it is. And I like photo variations in general. I support photo variations, but I am worried about tops diluting them like they are with, um, with the parallels. Um, that's a valid concern. I think, again, I feel a little bit lost for words, literally speaking, in that I can't use anything more descriptive than cool, but there's substance to that, right? People want things that are interesting. I want things that are interesting. And the more interesting aspects to the card, the more the demand is. Whether Tops print some to Oblivion to where that overwrites the demand, we'll see you know for ourselves i hate to bring this corollary but project 2020 was originally seen as something that for collectors they enjoyed it we saw the demand keep in line with the printing because this is a print demand product we saw people try to make a buck and then all of a sudden we just find out that people were lying to them there's still a core group of collectors for project 2020 myself included but we kind of see that people were in over their head on it and they didn't think as it was as cool as it actually is. Yeah, I, I totally get that because those cards, what their whole, the whole marketing strategy with those was that they were cool, you know? And like, that they were art and rare. Yeah, art and rare. And then they became art in common and then people became less interested. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, the balance between rarity and coolness is always going to be something that we are talking about. Like that spectrum of like, it's just kind of like a chart of like how cool something is versus how rare it is. If something is extremely cool, you know, if it's not super, you know, like uh, the card I'm thinking of right now is that like a opening day insert this year that has Tatis, Acuna, and Vlad on it. You know what I'm talking about? Tatis, Acuna, and Vlad. I don't know. It's like a three person. It's like a, it looks like a perforated card. It's an opening day this year. Um, oh, like the 2003 Matrix? Yeah, it looks like that, but it's with those guys. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that card is extremely cool. Like the three coolest guys, it's like kind of it it kind of brings collectors back memory to like the Magic Johnson Magic Larry Bird rookie card, like the Matrix set. Um so that card is an opening day insert. So that means it's like extremely common. You know, you could get it for wherever you want for probably like a dollar. But that card is extremely cool because those guys are very rarely on the same card together. So it's like in that case, the card is so cool that the fact that it isn't rare, it doesn't really matter that much because people will still want to hold on to it. Um, I find myself making those decisions when I'm home because whenever I'm home, I have to get rid of some cards because I have too many cards. And so I'm making these like judgments on like, am I going to be able to replace this card if I get rid of it? And do I even care if I get rid of it? So like, I think those are my two things I look at when I'm doing that sort of decision-making. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that, Max. So I'm just going to let you uh, throw some thoughts in there. <laughs> um, it made me make a connection to a interesting card that I bought this week. Um, and, you know, in regards to cool cards, um, 
you know, there's team cards that are introduced with series one and series two. I know the angels it's, you know, it's the, it's the Los Angeles angels card and it has Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and the Tampa Bay Rays card in tops flagship includes Wander Franco. And I bought a rare version, a one of one platinum of the Tampa Bay Rays team card this year. For you, wait, you bought the the one that Wander card? Yes. Like the the T, you have the platinum. I have the plat, or it is in transit to me. The Tampa Bay Rays platinum one of one team card. And although holy shit, I, holy fuck, bro, you actually got, that's so sick. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and that's why I'm bringing it up, right? Because it's like it's a cool card. And that is insanely cool. How have you not? What you're not telling me about this, bro? Are you kidding me? You bring this up it, like 30 minutes into the pod. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and it didn't arrive. I mean, it didn't arrive yet. Otherwise, I'll be like taking photographs of it like crazy. But it's a cool card, and it's one that you have. Look, it's not a direct mention of Wander. It's just a Tampa Bay Rays team card. But like what you were saying with having three big major stars all in one card, and there's Nate innately thinking it's cool. It was just a cool card that came to mind. Yeah, no, that's that's an amazing example. It's such a cool card. That's awesome. I'm excited to uh, ask you more questions about that card off off the air. But uh, I I actually have another cool card that I want to bring up. Just like pickup of the week that I think is rare and cool and something that maybe will people might not know about as an existing thing. Um, I bought a orange refractor Brandon Crawford Bowman Chrome rookie card, but. The unique part of this card, I bought it from at Frank underscore Lubati on Twitter. Great uh, guy. He, amazing guy. <laughs> Frank, amazing guy. Thank you, Frank. You're incredible. Cannot recommend buying cards from Frank more. But the unique thing about this card, and Frank has a, apparently has a friend or someone he knows who has a lot of cards from Tops that were not meant to be released. So these are cards that are made as possible replacements of other, like if the uh, Orange Refractor Brandon Crawford Crawford rookie card got damaged and someone opened it and was like, Hey, this card is, you know, completely dented or something. Uh, they'll send it in, they'll get a card back. They have them kind of ready. Um, but sometimes, and it's been known, and I actually saw another example of this on the timeline today as well, of these cards getting out without, you know, tops putting them out or wanting them to get out. So this is an unserial numbered Brandon Crawford orange refractor bone chrome rookie card. Um, but it also is reminding me that I saw something on the time on Instagram today about a Tom Brady one of one rookie card that apparently was sold on PWCC that someone else has already. And both of them seem to be authentic. And it seems like one of those cards is an example of this brand, another example of these replacement cards as another fun collecting thing that you can look into as a collector. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all about look, you were able to find a cool Brandon Crawford card, and that is significant. And having stuff with a backstory just makes it all the more fun. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I mean, that's what we always are thinking about, you know, just like new things that are fun, that are rare. Um, <laughs> did you look into the, the Magnus rookie card at all? I have not, just because I know that there's very few of them printed and it may not even be worth researching just because of how yeah. few of them they are, according to what you explained. I think I'm just going to tease that for another possible feature thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the last thing I wanted to bring up this week is just a feeling of that feeling I had when I was home because it brought me back to So I lived at home from, I graduated in 2020 from college and I would lived at home from about August to January of 2021. And during that time is when I got back really heavy back into collecting. And uh, 
I just felt, uh, and I, as I was watching the Warriors play in the Western Conference Finals with my dad, I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like I was incredibly lucky with my timing getting back into the hobby. And um, I think that's just something that I wanted to just shout out to the universe for blessing my life with. Like, when I started collecting again, I was looking at the starting lineup for the Warriors. It was like Kyle Bowman, like Eric Pascal, all these terrible guys, like guys that are like very borderline. And um, the fact that the Warriors were so bad when I got it back into collecting, where, you know, Steph Curry's name wasn't everywhere, you know, like whatever especially Draymond and stuff like that, where I was able to get a lot of these cards for extremely cheap because of how bad the Warriors were and, it, and the expectation that they weren't going to ever be contenders again. So the fact that they're playing again in the Western Conference Finals, look, they're looking pretty good and looking like they're kind of back to their old selves is something that I'm just feeling appreciative right now. And I just wanted to share that with the universe, Max. Uh, yeah, I, we've, I, even though I'm a Yankees and a Knicks fan, I've talked about how I kind of had to find my own way into discovering who I enjoy collecting and who I like. And it's okay to not know who you want to collect or have Steph Curry on your favorite team. So you're going to collect him. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, I think a lot of people just like feel like they need to collect someone that, you know, everyone, other people are collecting or like, or like they're really concerned with the long-term value. I'm like my Clay Thompson collection, you know, I, I think someone brought this up. Did someone, were you a part of this thread on Twitter? Someone was like, is Clay Thompson or is like Jordan Poole better than Clay Thompson? And I was like, you know, I think his ceiling is higher, but I don't know. I haven't seen enough on defense. And the point that someone brought up was like, Clay's better now, but like Poole is probably a better buy long term because of, or not a better buy, but like he has higher upside. You know, your, your potential for making more money, you're not exactly going to make money on Clay Thompson cards, but he is going to be a Hall of Famer. So like, I'm not worried about his prices dropping or whatever, but that, concept of like buying a prospect because the ceiling is higher versus an established star because that is just a known market um it's just something i was thinking about this week okay um last thing what are your last three ebay buys oh um can i just give you my last one ebay buy since it's... give me your give me your last one uh, actually yeah, yeah last one or uh, and then one other what two 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 i'll give you two sure uh i've been rambling a lot this this episode uh we got a, a 2011 dustin johnson leaf metal prismatic rookie card serial numbered out of 99 that is his rookie card it's a uh, leaf metal which is a not really a golf product too often but uh it's his rookie card it's from 2011 uh dustin johnson's my probably my second favorite golfer of all time and i, I had not really that any cool cards of him so i decided to kind of splurge on that one and i picked that up off a guy on ebay who i had offered like six times for the card and he had relisted it a bunch but i finally was like all right you know i'll pay 20 more bucks than i offered a year, six months ago um and my other ebay buy that i want to bring up is i bought a <laughs> sealed hobby box of 2000 upper deck power deck which and you, is are op you are opening that tomorrow am i right uh you are right i'm opening it tomorrow at the uh, letx hq but uh I bought that product because you know what we're chasing in there, Max? We're chasing CD autographs of Ken Griffey Jr. serial numbered to 50. So uh, none of those have ever been graded as I can, as far as I can tell. And I haven't seen any pop up on the internet. So if our box has a autographed CD, so just for, for the uh, uninitiated for Power Deck, it was like a, I think a couple year product. It, like the cards were literally like little CDs. You would pop them in your computer and it would play like a highlight or something kind of the og nfts if you would uh and so i bought the box it was a 50 dollars box ship so it's like not that big of a deal like i'm like all right i'd rather buy that than a few hangers of whatever right now so 
Uh, it's going to be fun. The cards are not really cards. They're CDs, but uh, just kind of a unique product that I love just kind of the funniness of and the weird, like, you know, the weird timing of it. I'm for that. What are, what are yours, bro? Um, last two buys, I bought a Dugout Peaks uh, for Nando Tatis from 2022 opening day. The calculated print run that I've done is about 100 copies that exist. And it's him with the San Diego gold Padres chain or the gold and brown chain. And it is a sick photo. Look, if it's not a PSA 10, like who cares? Like there are only so few of these copies available. I am on the opening day image variation binge right now. I'm trying to find them when they're cool and they're available. And look, one thing, like I don't like Wander Franco's dugout peaks just because I think it's horizontal and it's an ugly card. This is a cool image variation of Tatis. And I got it for what I, I paid roughly a little bit more than last comp, but I, I paid in line with it and I like it and it's cool. Dude, you just reminded me that the, this is brutal, honestly. I, I just, I, I missed an auction during the middle of this episode for a Buster Posey opening day SP from, uh, I think it's 2015 or 2016. And it's him playing first base. Or it's 2014, actually. Sorry, excuse me. Um, 2014 Buster Posey uh, opening day SP, him fielding at first, which is like, he has very few cards at first base. Um, and it sold for $62. I don't know if I would have paid 62 bucks for it, but uh, I, you, that was inspired by you. I, I was been uh, having a safe search for that since you started talking a bunch, but can, uh, before you go, Matt, before we go, Max, can you uh, give me your two cents about rookie card holding by tops and like withholding rookie card status for players? This is definitely a very big topic. Um, we have progressively seen, so the Adley Rutchison, Rut, Adley Rutchison debuted last night. He whammied a triple. And he received him and Nolan Gorman, Nolan Gorman the day before, received the call-up designation on their Tops Now cards. This indicates that they will not have the rookie card logo for both of them, both those two individuals and all other future players that debut in the MLB for the rest of the 2022 season will not have a rookie card logo on their cards. This is very interesting ramifications. This is the earliest Tops has ever made the rookie card logo cutoff. It is May, 20, May 22nd, 2022. Um, some truists will say that the 2021 Bowman's Best was their first true rookie card. But for people that are rookie card logo truists, we will not be seeing the logo until 2023. And it just shows the manipulation that a company, or I guess the players union as well, can have on what we perceive and what is allowed to be a rookie card i wonder if like these guys like are in these discussions like if adley richardson is like hey i don't want to have rookie cards until next year <laughs> also um i mean that's probably not the case but uh i wanted to ask you though like what well, do you think that these call-up designation cards what are the long-term collectability implications on these cards in your opinion great for collectors i'd like to collect that player for people that want to invest in the rookie card logo, not as great. But hey, I I like call up. I, I don't want to say I like call up logos, but I can stand call up logos. I think I think there will be value to first tops now call up cards. Not like a ton of value, but I think if we're if we're talking a spectrum of like flagship rookie card to first Bowman to like Gold Cup, 
I think it would, it would, I think it might align with gold cup and value in terms of like where demand will be for those types of like unique first cards for people. Um, especially parallels. Yeah. Especially parallels, especially, especially parallels, obviously. But, um, I think another thing is like those cards are connected with individual games, which can be powerful sometimes when they're like really big moments and like, um, whatever, like if someone hits like, you know, a home run or something in their first game and has a big moment, like those sort of things are things to think about when thinking about if you want to buy a call up card, you know, like maybe buy their, like maybe wait until they have something like really cool happen, like hit for the cycle or something, you know, something like that I would be in on as like an additional cool thing where like a call up card enhances it a little bit, you know? I am very much for buying Tops Now cards for games that you have been at. And any thoughts about the ticket market or should we save that for another episode? <laughs> I feel like we have a lot of juice. I mean, we just kind of a very important topic in like three minutes. Let's <laughs> yeah. some juice for the next episode. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but yeah, so next week uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Playboy Cards from Twitter. His name is Ryan. He's a He's a guy I know we've kind of both, I, I don't know how much you have, but uh, I interacted with him very early on in my, uh, my time on social media for cards. And he's someone I've seen grow from, you know, being a guy who would be doing like $3 stack sales to now who flips, you know, pretty significant cards and works for one of the coolest and most unique hobby shops, I think in the country, uh, the hobbyist in LA that I had the pleasure of visiting uh, earlier this year. And I'm just really excited to have him on because I think he has such a unique perspective on the hobby as someone who works for a hobby shop as kind of like their card guy. And um, it's just really knowledgeable about the hobby in general. Like I, I don't know very many people at all who uh, know more than him. He actually, he's a very humble guy. He on, on Twitter today, he was like, I had three of the F1 goat collectors like arguing over who should get there, like, oh, like all winning the same card that he had. And he was like, wow, that was like a big moment. Like that was, it felt kind of surreal. And I was like, dude, I've been following you for a while. Like you're one of the best F1 like knowledge guys out there. Like not very, like there are very, like I can count on one hand probably how many more people know than you. Like you've been doing this now for like, you were on F1 way before most people. Um, so Ryan, just great guy. I'm really <laughs> clearly excited to have him on the podcast. I'm excited as well. He's a great guy. I don't interact with him as much, but every interaction has been a positive one and he's very knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, so we're excited for that. Uh, I also just want to give a quick shout out to like some people that have been support big supporters of the pod early on here. Uh, Alex acts Saratoga slabs. I really, you know, he's a great guy. I know he's one of your older homies. Um, but I just really appreciate his support so far. And I also want to give a shout out to the homies, uh, Gaby card sacks, obviously. And, uh, Saul, Saul as well. Uh, who, who there's one other guy I'm forgetting, Max. Um, can you remind me his name? I I don't know who you're thinking of. <laughs> you're just saying. Uh, I'll bring you up next episode then. Uh, I'll bring you up next episode. But uh, yeah, just, I just want to say sh- thank you to everyone who's like, gave us a review, followed us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, watch us on YouTube. Um, we just appreciate it. It's, we've been having a blast making these and I just, uh, I am so excited to keep making them. All right. Is that a wrap? That is a wrap, Max. Thank you. Have a good week, everybody. All right. How do we... How do Press I the record it? button.